Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. One does not need to be an expert in Jungian psychoanalysis to detect some of the potent archetypes at play in the Gospels. Chief among these archetypes is the sea, which in two instances of the initial pages of Luke's Gospel can be interpreted as a symbol of Jesus' healing activity. The sea, according to Carl Gustav Jung, is the collective symbol for the unconscious, this huge hidden reservoir of instincts, memories and feelings which drive our behaviour, our thinking, our interactions and our self-perception, even when we are not aware of it, or rather especially when we are not aware of it. The unconscious, as we know, manifests itself especially in dreams when we are asleep. And indeed, Luke portrays Jesus getting into a boat with his disciples with the aim of leading them to the other side of the lake, that is, to another way of seeing reality, and there falling into a deep sleep. We are familiar with a beautiful icon of the descent of Jesus into the Hades, in which he can be seen taking the hand of Adam and Eve and freeing them from the captivity of death and oblivion. We can picture something similar here. During his sleep, Jesus descends into the depths of humanity's collective unconscious and brings there his healing power. No surprise then if the sea, the unconscious, is in great turmoil if the disciples are filled with fear. Few pages earlier, Luke describes a similar scene. Jesus gets into Simon's boat, sits down and teaches people from it, floating on the sea speaking to both minds and hearts, addressing our intelligence, but much more deeply, again, probing our unconscious. Once he ends his speech, he signals his intention to bring Simon and us with him further and deeper. He invites him to put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. This time, The foray into the depths of our unconscious brings to the surface guilt. When Simon sees the boat sinking because of the magnitude of the catch, he falls at Jesus' knees and begs, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Fear and guilt are among the most insidious biases of the soul. They distort our perception of ourselves and of God, pollute our relations with others. We are powerless against these inner protean ancestral prejudices because they are adept at simulating faith and repentance, when in reality 
they close us on ourselves, make us doubt of Jesus and want us to flee away from him. We can welcome Jesus only after he has unmasked this fear and this guilt and started to heal them, which is what happens when he rebukes the wind and the raging waters. He calms the storm, dispels our fear, enjoins to summon to Simon, don't be afraid, so that freed from his shackles, he can leave everything and follow Jesus. Luke sees Jesus as the physician, the doctor, and describes his healing activity as a therapy, therapy. A word which coincidentally in a modern languages designates the activity of mental health professionals whom we call therapists and whose foremost medium for healing is words. Indeed, the image of Jesus as a healer, as a therapist, is always, always associated with him being designated as the prophet. We are told that the words that come out of his lips are gracious. Gracious can have a variety of meanings, but in the context in which the expression is used by Luke, it refers to the passage from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah Jesus reads in the synagogue. His words are gracious because they have the power to comfort the poor, free the prisoners, restore the sight of the blind, release us from the burdens that oppress our lives and our hearts. In a nutshell, Jesus' words are gracious because they heal. Indeed, this is the context in which, for the first time, Jesus calls himself a physician in Luke's Gospel, somehow obliquely. The people from Nazareth marvel at his words and are eager to benefit from his miracles. Jesus, however, perceives their disappointment when he declares, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Physician, heal yourself. The people of Jesus' hometown, among whom were some of his parents, felt entitled to benefit from his healing power. Why does Jesus refuse to perform miracles there? Why does he not heal his own? The reality is that a form of healing is at work, even at Nazareth, and even though the people of Nazareth fail to realize it. As with the disciples and with Simon, here too, the healing Jesus performs consists in laying bare the hidden wounds of the heart. His words are gracious, that is, they are therapeutic, because they see what lies behind the apparent positive reception the people had given to him. All spoke well of him, we are told, and yet all suddenly turn against him, are disappointed in him, and soon are filled with murderous fury against him. 
Truly I tell you, Jesus says, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Just as the contemporaries of the prophets Elijah and Elisha, the people of Nazareth too are unable to recognize the presence and the action of God among them. Once again, a storm erupts and the waters rage. All the people in the synagogue were furious and humanity's murderous instincts are unleashed. Besides, the diseases of fear and guilt are unconscious brims with murder and anger. Ever since one of us tried to assuage his intense envy by slaughtering his own brother. Apparently, apparently no healing happens here. Jesus seems to confine himself to laying bare his kinsman's fury. And yet, just as with the storm on the lake, suddenly the raging waters are still. All is calm. Nobody touches Jesus. He walks right through the crowd and goes his way. Something happens here which reminds me of the passage in John's Gospel, which incidentally might have come from the tradition of Luke's Gospel, in which Jesus quietens the storm of a murderous crowd set to lynch a woman, the so-called adulterous woman, solely and Jesus calms the storm solely with the help of his gracious words. He says, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And after these words, everyone leaves. Such is the immense therapeutic power of words, of the right words, of the words that come from the lips of Jesus. A question then for us all. In this time of Lent, what is the healing we expect, nay, we need from Jesus? More generally, what sense do we make of his healing ministry in the Gospels? What meaning does it have for our faith? In our days, leprosy has been almost completely eradicated. We know that the devil has nothing to do with epilepsy. If we have a high fever, like Simon's mother-in-law, we'd rather, and rightly, see a doctor than ask for a priest. How does Jesus remain a physician for us too? What is the healing, the therapy we need from him? We know how the first Christian monks who lived in Syria and Egypt in the 4th century would have answered this question. Well before Freud and Jung, they became intensely aware of the need for a therapeutic approach to fear, guilt, anger, and a whole range of compulsive chains of thoughts which they called logismoi in Greek, and they endlessly tried to scrutinize classify and decipher. They tended to group these compulsive thoughts around what we want, what we fear, and how we think of ourselves or how we wish to be perceived by others. 
What we want is food, sex, and money. What we fear can make us angry, sad, or depressed. What we think of ourselves or wish other people would think of us can make us vain, proud, envious, and jealous. Rightly, these wise monks, which are also known as the fathers of the desert, pointed out that these compulsive thoughts latch onto good and vital human instincts and needs, nourishment, physical integrity, social recognition. These instincts and needs, however, end up absorbing a disproportionate amount of vital energies and alienate us from ourselves, from others, and from reality. They become, or they can become, obsessions, illnesses, which need healing. They were called fathers of the desert because they discovered that the ideal place for this healing is the wilderness, where God journeys with his people in the Old Testament, and Jesus first deploys his divine therapy in the Gospels. The book of Deuteronomy presents the desert as the place where the thoughts of the heart are manifested in a very beautiful passage from the chapter 8, which I'm going to read. Remember, says Deuteronomy, how for these 40 years the Lord your God has directed all your journeying in the wilderness, so as to test you by affliction to know what was in your heart, to know what was in your heart. He, therefore, let you be afflicted with hunger and then fed you with manna, a food unknown to you and your ancestors, so you might know that it is not by bread alone that people live, but by all that comes forth from the mouth of the Lord, from his gracious lips. The clothing did not fall from you in tatters, nor did your feet swell during these forty years. Once the thoughts of the heart are laid bare, that these illnesses come to the surface, the way the Lord heals them is by taking care of his people, by feeding them, clothing them, making sure they have the strength and the right gear to pursue the journey, their journey to the end. The desert is the place where Jesus too faces head-on these compulsive thoughts that afflict our hearts and poison our relations with each other and with God. This is what lays behind the image of being tempted by the devil. Our fear, guilt, anger, envy are not evil but can have devastating effects in our lives, especially when they remain undetected. This is a crucial aspect of Jesus' mission right from the beginning of Luke's Gospel, when he is brought into the temple by his parents and Simeon says to Mary, this child is destined to be a sign that is opposed so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And indeed, the grace attached to Jesus' words reveals the anger 
of the people in Nazareth, the guilt of Simon, the fear of his disciples, to which we can add the duplicity of the Pharisees when Jesus heals on a Sabbath. Jesus, Luke says, knew their thoughts. Or the self-righteousness of the Pharisee who had invited him for dinner when the sinful woman was wetting Jesus' feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. Lent is the time of healing. The time to let the gracious words which come from Jesus' lips lay bare the thoughts of our heart, our fears, our guilt, our doubts, our anger. And we can add to this list our anxieties, our worries, our frustrations, our sadness, our depressions. Everything which lurks under the surface of our conscious life, which we often prefer to ignore because we are afraid of the pain and the discomfort they might stir when we try to face them overtly. Jesus brings these compulsive thoughts to the open only to offer us the comfort we need to deal with them, only to assure us of his love and to teach us to rely on his forgiveness. This explains why healing and prophecy always go together. Those who prophesy, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, speak to people for their strengthening, their encouraging and their comfort. They lay bare the secrets of the heart in such a way, Paul adds, that people are led to worship God and proclaim God is really among you in chapter 14 of the first letter to the Corinthians. The negativity we harbour in us is nothing to be ashamed of. This is why the Desert Fathers chose to treat these thoughts as illnesses of the heart. We would be right to point out that just as with the diseases of the body we go to the doctor, so with the illnesses of the heart we should see a therapist. And yet, the wisdom of all cultures and religions has understood that besides psychological and emotional aspects, there also is a spiritual component in these thoughts, in these compulsive thoughts, in these illnesses of the heart. Hence, the need for a healing process which does resort to a therapist, a professional therapist, but should not neglect the healing power of the Word of God. Nobody knows and searches the human heart more expertly and more lovingly than the God who comes into our boats, dives into the meanders of our unconscious to come to our rescue, the God who changes our deserts into gardens where the trees of authentic self-knowledge and self-love can grow and flourish. Fear, guilt, anxiety, and all our debilitating thoughts are healed thanks to the strengthening, the encouraging and the comfort of Jesus, who repeats to us what he said to Simon and to his disciples. Simple words, but how supremely gracious 
when they healing when they come from Jesus' lips. Do not be afraid. Have faith in me. Put out into deep water. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.